We are starting a new series this, uh, this morning called Habits of Grace. This is going to be a six-week series that we look at what traditionally has been known throughout church history as the spiritual disciplines. What are those habits of grace that are built into the life of a believer, cultivated in a life of one who has been captured by God's grace? If God's grace has captured you and transformed you, are there not habits that exist in your life, practical uh, disciplines that exist in the life of one who has been captured by grace that exhibit that grace in their life. Paul in Philippians says that we are called to do what? Work out our salvation. Paul doesn't tell us to work for our salvation. That's been done for us through Jesus Christ. But he does call us, in light of Jesus working for your salvation, you are called to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so that habit of grace that we're going to be looking at this morning as we begin this six-week series is the habit of studying the Word of God, the habit of grace of being in the Word of God, studying it, listening to it, reading it, uh, being captured by it. And to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 19. It's a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm that is one of great poetry and great theology. Psalm 19, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and then 7 through 14. Before we read, I want to draw your attention to the inside cover of the bulletin. Under the pastor's welcome, uh, we are going to be giving you recommended resources that pertain to each week throughout this study. So for instance, as we look at the habit of studying God's Word, here are recommended resources from our church to you that help you unpack this habit in your life. So whether we look at the habit of studying God's Word as we're doing this morning, or the habit of evangelism, or the habit of fellowship, or worship, or giving, or whatever it might be, uh, we are going to provide you with some recommended resources in your journey of discovering this habit in your own life. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, and then skipping down to verse 7 through 14. David writes that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor there are words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving His chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold and even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden thoughts. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I want you to be captured. I want you this morning to be captured, maybe even for the very first time, by the Word of God. As we begin this study on the habits of God's grace and we think about studying God's Word, I want you to be captured and develop a deep passion and longing and love for the Word of God. This Word of God that is found in 66 books written by 40 authors It contains narratives and prophecy and epistles and poetry. It's contained in two testaments, an Old Testament and a New Testament, which are promises. It's written by kings and prophets and scholars and peasants and fishermen and tent makers, written in both Hebrew and Greek. It's the best-selling book in the world. It's the most popular book in the world. But it's also the most powerful book in the world. It has the power to bring kings and rulers to their knees. It has the power to make the most broken and the most helpless and give them hope. So the first thing that I want us to look at this morning as we talk about developing a habit of grace, specifically in the area of studying God's Word, the first question I want us to ask this morning is, why do we need it? Why do we need the Word of God? Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us, David says himself, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so what David is attempting to tell us is that you look up, you look around, you go outside, and the heavens and creation and nature tell us that there is a God, and He's powerful, and He's glorious, and He's incomparable. So then it begs the question, why do we need this? If, if David tells us in Psalm 19 verse 1 that the heavens tell us about God, if, if creation tells us about God, if nature itself tells us about the God, why do we need this? Verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. You see, the one thing, the greatest thing, the most important thing that creation and the heavens lack are actual words. That although theologians have called this the heavens and creation, natural revelation or general revelation, David tells us that we also need what is known as special revelation. The heavens give us a word about God, that there is a God and that He exists and He's powerful and He's glorious and He's incomparable. But we also need a special word from God that tells us who He is and how He moves and how He works and what he does. You see, verse 3 tells us that the creation lacks words. We need the very word of God because creation itself is not enough. You see, you often hear people say that I don't need the word because I have creation, I have the heavens, I have, I have earth to tell me that there is a God. You often hear people say, I don't need the word because when I read some of the stories about God in the word, in the Bible, it tells me of a a judgmental God. It tells me of a God of wrath. And I believe in a God of love. And therefore, I, I, I don't need the Bible to tell me about a loving God because the Bible seems to talk a lot about His judgment and His wrath and His condemnation. Well, let's just take a look at some of the things that could tell us about the love of God apart from the Bible. Let's look at other religions, for instance. Let's look at the religion of Islam or Buddhism. Surely they will tell us about the love of God. Well, no, if 
somebody was to come and stand up here this morning, they would say, ultimately, our picture, according to uh, Buddha or Muhammad, is not of a loving God. That's not our first conception of God. So other religions can't tell us about a loving God. But maybe you can learn about a loving God from history. Sure, the Crusades. The Crusades will surely tell us about the love of God. Or maybe the Holocaust. Or maybe slavery. No, history can't tell us about the love of God. Well, maybe I can learn about the love of God from nature. Sure, you look at the droughts and the wildfires and hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis. I mean, they just, they just warm the heart, don't they? They can't learn about the love of God from, from nature. Well, how about the creatures, the, the beasts of the field as they call them? Maybe we can learn about the love of God from the creatures. Well, if anybody's watched the animal, animal Planet lately, all you have to do is turn on Animal Planet and just watch a pack of lions go in and devour an antelope, and you're quickly reminded that even the beast of the fields can't remind us of the love of God. You see, the only place we can learn about the love of God is from the special revelation of God as it's found in the Word of God. J.I. Packer says this, and I think we have the quote for up there, and knowing God, J.I. Packer says, though God is a great king, it is not his wish to live at a distance from his subjects, rather the reverse. He made us with the intention that he might, and that, that he and we might walk together forever in a love relationship, but such a relationship can only exist when the parties involved know something of each other. We can know nothing about him, God, unless he tells us. Here, therefore, is a further reason why God speaks to us, not only to move us to do what He wants, but to enable us to know Him so that we might love Him. Therefore, God sends His Word to us in the character of both information and invitation. It comes to woo us as well as instruct us. It is not merely puts us, puts us in the picture of what God has done and is doing, but also calls us into personal communication with the loving Lord Himself. We need the very words of God from the Bible to know that we matter to God. We need His Word to tell us that we're loved. Only the Word of God can tell us that. We need the very Word of God. Second thing, not only do we see in Psalm 19 that we need the very words of God, that creation and nature itself are not enough, but the second question I want us to answer is, why should we pay attention to it? Surely there are so many books, there are so many doctrines of faith throughout the history of the world that tell us what to do and what not to do. Why the Word of God, as we read it this morning, why do we give heed to it? Why do we follow this book? Why do we give attention to this Word? You see, in a sermon like this, you could easily power nap. You could easily do your grocery list. Why would you pay attention to the Word of God? You could easily text. Don't think I can't see you out there. (laughs) Texting. So why should we give heed to the Word of God? When it is preached and the words of this Bible are spoken and delivered unto you Sunday in and Sunday out, what? why do we give it heed? Why does it have authority over our life? It's because as we read in Psalm 19 that these are not the words 
of men and women. These are not the words of mere mortals, but we are told in Psalm 19 and all throughout the Word that these are the very words of God. In Psalm 19 itself, it says what? In verse 7, it says the law is perfect and sure. In verse 8, it says the precepts are right and pure. In verse 9, it says they're, they're righteous and true. The righteous words and true words and perfect words and holy words and blameless words because they're not the words of mere mortals, but they're the very words of the living God. And because God is perfect, His Word is perfect. And because God is our final authority, His Word has final authority in our lives. And because the Word has final authority over our lives, we would be wise to give it heed and allow it to be the authority over our lives. But you sit there and say, but I don't like that. There's only one authority over my life, and that's me. I have the final authority, right? We live in a world, we live in a culture that says, this old book has authority over my life? No, I have authority over my life. I want to have the, fi- I wanna have the prerogative to be the final authority in my life to discern that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is beautiful and that which is moral, and that I want to have the prerogative to have the final authority to direct the affairs and decisions of my life. I want to define what marriage is and what family is and sexuality is and who I can marry and what I can do with my body and what I want to do when I grow up. I want to define those issues in my life. We even live in a culture that says, I can define what gender I am. That's not God's job to define what gender I am. That's my job. I have final authority over my affairs and my decisions and my body and my decisions. And I would be committing pastoral malpractice this morning if I did not tell you that God has spoken and His Word is final. And you do not have the right to define that which is right and that which is wrong. You do not have the right to define that which is moral and immoral. You do not have the ability and the authority and the prerogative to be the final authority over the affairs of your life. God has spoken and His Word is final. It is not your job to judge God and judge the Bible. It is the Bible's job to judge you. We need the Word of God, the special words of God, because creation is not enough. We give heed to the Word of God because it is the final authority over our lives because it is God's Word, not our Word. And then lastly, what effect does this Word have over our lives? What does it have the power to do? In verse 12, something interesting begins to happen to David. David, in light of understanding the holiness and the perfection of God and His Word, something begins to happen in David's life. He begins to become undone. In verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden thoughts. You can hear him crying out for help and mercy and deliverance. When David says, who can discern his errors? It's as if he's looking at the law like a mirror and he's being exposed for the very first time in his life. And he's saying, I'm baffled by what I see. The sinful and impure and righteous man that I am who can discern his errors? 
You see, what the Word of God has the power to do, it's perfect and holy and pure and sure and trustworthy Word of God. It has the ability, unlike anything else, to expose us for who we truly are. You see, as much as we live in a world that we love and long to hear things that puff us up, we love to hear things that we want to hear, it's the Word of God that tells us what we need to hear. And because it's perfect and true, it's the only thing that can actually speak truth into your life. It's the only thing that can honestly say, this is who you really are. A man or a woman that has a desperate need. It wakes us up, and as it woke up David, it wakes us up, maybe even for the very first time this morning, to see my brokenness and to see my imperfection in light of a holy God. But thank God it doesn't stop there. In verse 14, it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What David ultimately understands in light of the perfect word of God exposing him for who he truly is, he realizes that he has only one place to run. He has only one place to hide. He has only one place to find refuge. Thank God that the word of God not only exposes us, but it helps to cure us because it gives us and reveals to us our only hope this side of heaven. So that David, just like Adam and Eve, who were looking for a place to hide, David realized, I need to hide in light of my sin and in light of my brokenness that the Word has revealed. But thank God that I can run to who? My rock. Rock here means a safe place. And David understood, according to the power of the Word, that there is a safe place to go. That there is only one safe place to go. And that is the Lord who is his rock. But in addition to that, not only does his mouth and his heart accept this profession of God as rock, but also as his redeemer. And the Hebrew here in Psalm 19 and verse 14, redeemer means champion. You see, the world will tell you this, you're the champion. You can be the champion today. But it's only the Word of God that speaks truth into our life and says you're not the champion. And you never will be. But let me introduce you to the one who is. The one who conquered your greatest fear. The one who conquered sin and death. The one who conquered your imperfection. The one who conquered your impurity. The one who conquered your brokenness once and for all. Jesus the Christ. David is able to profess with his mouth and with his heart that, God, you are my champion because I am not. You see, what the Word of God does and the reason we build a discipline and a habit of this grace into our life every single day is because we need to be reminded every day that you're not the hero, but Jesus is. And that you're not the champion, but God is. And because the Word is perfect and true, it's the only thing that will speak honestly into your life, into who you truly are, and to truly what you ultimately need. We need the Word of God because it both exposes us and at the same time delivers. And this is why we are a church that is solely committed to the Word of God and the Word of God alone. We don't bring our Bibles and read our Bibles to gain more knowledge or to be puffed up. We need our Bibles and the very Word of God because it's our very lifeline 
for understanding the hope that we have. That's why when we preach sermons here at this church, we open up the Word of God and we preach from the Word of God. That's why we have Sunday school classes here at Coral Ridge to help you understand the Word of God. It's why we have a children's ministry and a youth ministry that teaches our children how to apply the Word of God. It's why we have men's and women's Bible studies because we want want you to be steeped into the Word of God all throughout the week. It's why we have a seminar that was founded so many years ago, Knox Seminary, to to raise up men and women to be able to declare and to apply and counsel and teach the very Word of God. It's why we have a school across the street, Westminster Academy, that wants to train boys and girls and young men and young women how to think biblically about every facet of life. Not just to have more knowledge, not to be puffed up, just the opposite to remind us every day that there is a God and we're not Him, to remind us every day that He is perfect and we're imperfect, to remind us every day that we can't save ourselves, but we know the champion who can. Verse 7, the power to revive the soul. Only the Word of God can do that. Frank Barker, who was a pastor for many years, founding pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, and also one of the founders of our denomination. Before he knew Jesus, he was a naval aviator in Pensacola, and one night after a long night of drinking and partying, they always say about naval aviators that they work hard and they play harder, and after one night of drinking all night and being absolutely drunk, he made the mistake of getting into his car and driving down the road, and he falls asleep, and as he's driving off the road and barreling towards a tree, right before he hits the tree, his eyes eyes open and he slams on the brake and right in front of him posted on the tree are these words, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he did. And his life was never the same. And your life will never be the same either. When the Word of God speaks to you and tells you this, that the very Word of God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and dwelt among us to pursue you and to love you and to rescue you and redeem you, to be your rock and to be your redeemer, your life will never be the same. And that invitation is for you this morning to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the very word that became flesh, to be your rock and to be your redeemer. The story of a rabbi that always told his people that if they studied the Word of God, it would put Scripture on their hearts. And one of the children came up to the rabbi one day and said, why on the hearts? Don't we want to put Scripture in the heart? And the rabbi said, no, the heart's too hard. We must put Scripture on the heart. But as you read the Word of God and you put it on the heart, the heart will eventually break. And when the heart breaks, His Word will fall in. No, would God break our hearts by the very Word of God. And when our hearts break, let the Word of God fall in and transform us and change us forever.